voice. Uh, yeah, and we are recording this. We're going to blast this over to Facebook Live also. So it's great to see everybody. Happy uh, almost summer. Yes, we're back to normal here in Newport, as if you haven't noticed, if you ventured out of the house. Yeah, I know. It's crazy down there. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to share my screen. Just get started. Okay, I'm not, for those that may not have I may not have met before in these uh, NIM groups, um, my name is Rhonda Schalto, and um, just a little bit about me is that um, I have been an entrepreneur for six years, and uh, I left my corporate career uh, of thirty years in IT, um, in banking and insurance industry. About close to six years ago, I started using email marketing. And I was teaching a webinar to non-digital natives, for those of the pre-internet generation, I like to call non-digital natives, uh, the uh, MailChimp. So the, the, the webinar was called Tech Therapy with Rhonda. And we taught, uh, we learned about MailChimp and how to reach our clients and you know, connect those uh, to the time landing pages and create sales funnels. But it's a lot of changes happened, including with MailChimp since then. Now, in March 2020, uh, when the world just stopped, including our businesses and personal lives had to start to like, reevaluate where we were at, my local customers um, were affected and they actually stopped and canceled all their appointments. So uh, email marketing literally changed uh, and saved my business because I had that email list of those that I had been teaching MailChimp online to. I reached out to them with a survey with MailChimp, finding out what they needed during the lockdown, and I started to serve them. And I did that through uh, MailChimp classes, as well as uh, ran a challenge and did some master classes as well. So um, I'm teaching them how to reach out during this time of pivoting to their clients online. And as a result, I've grew a list of raving fans and helping them to do the same thing. So I want to share with you today about email marketing and how uh, we can get a, the results from email marketing still in this world of uh, you know, post-COVID as well as the uh, world of social media. So I think everyone's putting this in the chat already, but I'd like to just see maybe just a show of hands or just something in the chat about who as actually using email marketing and what platform you're using, just so I can get a sense for the, the presentation and whether or not you are, are a beginner, um, an intermediate, or even a pro at that. So it's just good to see that and uh, you know what people are using because they're basically very much the same, just maybe some of the steps and things that we do are a little bit different. But I think this, this will, this, I know this presentation is going to apply to everyone. So to move on. Um, so just a little bit about email marketing, the pre and post COVID, and just some quick statistics about, so COVID definitely has um, affected email marketing and the open rates, and namely in, in emails. They've actually increased a lot. They did in 2020, 21.5% from the prior year pre-COVID. And in eight, as most recently, as of uh, April 2021, the open rates are actually still seeing a 13.45 increase. So we're still, you know, email is still rules. And what tells us that is even the ROI, the 
$2 return on investment for every dollar spent, recent statistics. Um, notice the email click-through rates comparing from uh, social to email. And you know when we put email and social media together, that's where we really start to see the results. So this, what I'm gonna be talking about today in this deep dive is that um, getting the ROI from email happens. Um, people have to open the emails, right? In order to get the clicks, we also need to, in order to interact with people. So getting the best email ROI is gonna happen when we uh, send relational emails as well as relevant emails, because those are the emails that are gonna get opened. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about how to, some tips on how to do that. And so this is part of the deep dive. So we're gonna start off with personalization. So if you've written an email, which everyone probably has to a friend, that's really like personalization. It's just addressing an email as though we were addressing a personal email. And you know the subject lines are really important as well to making them more personal as well as uh, from who you're sending the email from. If it's sending from a company, for example, or an individual, most people, and there's a statistic now that 68% of Americans, at least that were uh, surveyed or statistically that from the from name in the email, when it's a personal name, would get more, would open the email. And casual language is important as well. Now, casual language isn't apply those for every industry, obviously. So in personalization, just a couple of different things to uh, keep in mind for personalization, but we're gonna go a little bit deeper into personalization. And that is um, in the email greeting as well as the subject. So if we're putting a person's name, for example, metadata, metadata is data that used to describe data. For example, the F name or that meta, uh, that that tag metadata tag. If you put that into an email, like in the greeting, for example, hi so and so, right? Oh, on this case, uh, Greg, hi. Um, or in the subject, even better because a person sees their name in the subject would allow them to know that it's more of a personal outreach to them. And once we get the first email opened, then we can start to interact and serve and provide value to that person. But really it's getting that first email opened, which we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna take a little deep breath here because I've talked a lot since we got started. Is there anything in the comments or questions so far, Suzanne, that you might wanna talk about before um, we move on? Sorry, I'm on Facebook, sharing on Facebook. Uh, here we go. Oh, I have to let Steven, thank you. This is a good time. Um, I think it looks like everybody's using a little bit of everything. Um, just some beginner, uh, business partners, uh, active campaign, HubSpot, a uh, little bit of everything. And, and we're using MailChimp mostly as an example, but I know active campaign does very similar things with HubSpot unless they're all fairly competitive. Okay, great. So this is just some more examples of meta data that we can use a merge tags that is in the personalization that MailChimp has a online guide of all different ones, except I'm sure all the email management systems do. Now this is one uh, little uh, piece that MailChimp allows you to do if you're sending an email, and this is another tip 
that you can look for on your email provider is that um, displaying the recipient's name, this is really for spam filters. For example, if we're using the merge tags for first and last name would show up to the Bob Smith in this case, instead of Bob at whatever his email address is. Now that is definitely a way to make it more personal, but also to avoid spam filters. So that's a recommendation for personalizing the two field. And this is an example here of just some personalization from this email with the survey. It fills in the number of surveys from the database that the email is, is pulling it from. And then at the next, uh, under below that, it has the person's name, as you can see right here at the very bottom, bottom line. Um, the only thing I would do differently is put the, e the person's name at the top of the email, which would be a little bit more personal and would show up because not everybody reads to the bottom. So this is like an example of not even the pros always get it right. Mm -hmm. And believe me, they send me lots of emails. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know, about personalization. Really, it is something that we do all the time when we you know, interact with people. It's just being conscious of being, you know, talking to people personally and establishing that, uh, those, those few tips that we talked about. Um, but now we're going to move on to a little bit, uh, if there's no questions or anything, maybe at the end, if you have questions as well, if, if anything comes up, Suzanne, just feel free to stop me. It's kind of hard for me to look at the chat at the same time. Just no worries. Just did that mm -hmm. double mm -hmm. presenting yet. But um, so next thing I want to talk about is segmentation, which is the second uh, getting the ROI from email for getting them opened as well. So se segmentation really helps with the relevancy of the email. For example, segmentation means when you're grouping customers together uh, into categories based upon uh, either their, you know, their preferences or their behavior. And this is done by using uh, tags or groups. And for example, if you've purchased a, some clothing online and then you may get an email about an accessory that goes with that clothing. Well, that's most likely that they're using some type of segmentation that you put in some type of group saying that you purchased this particular type of, of item. And that's where uh, segmentation, we're gonna go into more into that. So it's really about learning more about the customers and that's how we can utilize segmentation. So um, with preferences, as far as the customer is concerned, when they sign up, and I'm gonna give some examples of that in the next few slides, but when they sign up um, by just getting some information right off the top, you know, asking them for something that they would prefer. And some people do that with newsletters, for example. Um, if a survey, if you already have clients that are on your email list, sending a survey to kind of help to categorize them and group them into their interests to send out those relevant emails. And behavior, that's really done by some reporting that you can get statistics reports from people that are opening certain emails, responding to certain emails, as well as clicking. And the customer journey, which we're gonna go into a little later. This is one of my examples It's using from one of my uh, signup forms that I'm using. And um, just from the, from the top to bottom, you know, email address and first name, most, most of you might know this, but 
we have to, of course, ask for the email address, but a first name allows us to use that um, personalization very well. And most people will give up their first name. If you ask for last name or other information, especially if it's required, they may not subscribe. So if you notice at the bottom where I put including the instructions, what I did was I had a video and a step-by-step -step written uh, course. And I had either someone that's interested in just the instructions or in the videos. And I can put them into a category for future products or future courses that I have so that I can email them knowing that they like especially to watch videos. And I can send them video emails as well, not just written emails. And I'm gonna show you um, in here, once I've got the, the information and just designing this, I'm looking at you know creating an email to that particular group of people who have said that, yes, send me the, the video instructions. And I, the next slide I'm gonna, oh, actually the, before we do that, the uh, instead of grouping people, we can also just tag them automatically. And this, when people signed up with my landing page, which is just a, like a more detailed signup form, I automatically tag them. So I know which courses that they have signed up for and I can email them accordingly. Go into marketing automation a little bit because that was a segmentation, but everything's gonna come together when we, at the end because we use all three together. That's when really the, you know, the boost comes for the ROI. But when marketing automation, so you can use a welcome email, uh, automatically email a blog post or time triggered. So automation is basically sent upon an event or a trigger. And it's in as an automatic email that's sent out or when a sale is generated. This is a tip, always send a welcome email. The welcome emails have an open rate, which averages around 82%. So that is a good way to use automation is when someone signs up, send them a welcome email. And I found that that, I'm gonna show you my statistics on the next page, how that's really worked out. And there's some, some actual statistics from my email campaign. So this is the email campaign from the signup form and landing page that I showed you. And it's an automated email. So it just sits there waiting for that trigger when someone signs up. 84% of people opened up that first welcome email when they signed up. And at the bottom is the one uh, email campaign using segmentation. So just the people who said yes to the video instructions at 73.7%. So we can look at that, you know, the clicks are, are up there as well as the opens. And that's the idea is just getting more people to open so that, uh, you know, they're going to want to get those emails and they're going to look for those emails. And even if the first time they might show up, uh, in their, uh, you know, a box that's not the inbox, they're going to make it a purpose to go after that email. I know I look in my promotions on my Gmail account if I'm expecting an email, and then I'll move them into my inbox so that I can get them in future emails. So that's just a little bit about uh, the, the segmentation and automation, but we're going to continue on a little bit deeper into the customer journey. Now, this customer journey is, is when 
we uh, map out a personal path that each individual takes in their interaction with us as a customer. So the customer journey does a few things. It takes the, the, as I was just mentioning, the customer on a personal and a unique experience. And it is automated and it does use segmentation and it does use personalization as well. But it, um, it definitely increases, it not only produces statistics, but it increases, the, it, it improves the customer experience. As I mentioned just a minute ago about, it does use all the three aspects of this deep dive that we're talking about. So I wanna go a little bit more into the customer journey. And this is specifically in the MailChimp customer journey that you're looking at right now. Now, this feature that uses cut for, for MailChimp customer depends upon the plan, of course, that you're in. And I have, uh, right, I have the essentials plan. So I'm able to create a, a five-step customer journey. I'm, as you can see, I, I would have to upgrade to get the if-else, which is like a breaching point to the standard plan. I'm gonna show you the plans here for a moment, just for, because we're talking about MailChimp today and that uh, the, for, MailChimp is still free, $0 for 2000 contacts. You can send a single automation, single step automation, which includes that welcome email. So for you could still do that. Uh, as I was mentioning to you that, you know, I have the plan that does include the customer journey, which $9.99 a month. Now it does go down to 500 contacts at those plans. And with the standard plan at $15 a month, which still is not a lot, you can create a, uh, you know, a real powerful customer journey. Two choices, the customer journey, which is branches off into different if results, if they take this action, then do this. And then the classic is more linear automation. But all customer journeys have to have a starting point. So this is just an example of the starting points for a customer journey. And it really works well with the e-commerce, uh, which is selling online and the abandoned cart. The abandoned cart, um, which is just basically if someone, probably all, all have had that happen, just put something in the cart and then you know maybe purposely do that and say, I'll go back later or I'll just forget and to check out digitally. Well, the open cart emails are really uh, important to send if you're doing that type of e-commerce because people will buy when they get a reminder and they may never come back to the store, especially if they go went through Google and just found your store. In that case, there's another statistic that after you send three abandoned cart emails, you can do that automatically, then uh, resulted actually in 69% more orders than just a single open cart email. So that's the reason to really use automation because who has the time to really follow up on any of this manually? And you can just see that this, how email really does help with the ROI because it does help with sales. It helps with the customer relationships as well as the re relevancy. And this is just a quick slide just to show you. These are the integrations for e-commerce, for marketing that uh, MailChimp currently has available. And you can follow up on a purchase uh, to continue you know, add more value as well as uh, sending notifications that match your brand. 
as well with e-commerce. And there was a lot of slides, but uh, there was a lot of information too. So I'd be glad to go over anything as well as answer any questions. But really, you know, the keys that we're talking about today and, and we dove deeper into is you know, you know, relational relevant emails. I mean, COVID's changed a lot in the way we do business and in marketing is really has never changed as far as it being a relational market. Marketing is about relationship, establishing relationship and adding value in maintaining that relationship. And email is very good at that. Uh, it just continues to be good at that. And, you know, the statistics say that there will be billions of email users continuing on until way well into the a 21st century. So it's not going away and it, it still is something to, for us to pay attention to when we're in business and, and in marketing. And just a final slide. And as far as uh, NIM has been always, I love the fact that I was always able to plug into NIM and, and be able to, to get expert advice. And it's just a thank you, Suzanne, for a asking me to be a speaker today and to share with the things that I've been using email marketing and finding that works. And I've got it again to answer any questions. And just everyone's sharing their own experiences that they have. We also with email marketing, as, as Suzanne mentioned, this is interactive. This is great. Thank you so much, Rana. This is fantastic. I think, uh, yeah, that was, that was quick. Went through, uh, Slides pretty quick, which I was worried that maybe we had too many slides, but I guess not. Um, so why don't we jump into some questions and feel free, um, you know, everybody unmute and ask your questions straight up uh, if you like. But John Picosi has has a good question about recommending uh, to include discount codes in abandoned cart emails. So this would be e-commerce related. Um, any suggestions? Hmm. Most definitely. Um, I know sales motivate myself and most everyone I know. So that discount and in, in that can just be put right into those abandoned card emails, right? So those, be sending those automatically, having that code put in there already, and you can set that up with your e-commerce software. So de definitely, thank you for bringing that up, John. That's, that's a good point. I would say as a user, I've gotten to a point now where I expect it. That, you know, I sometimes don't purchase right away because I'm like, hmm, well, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I'll get a, <laughs> like a, a coupon, coupon code. So yes. let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, we don't clip them anymore, but we definitely wait for the emails and or for the notifications. Yeah. And just to make sure that we're not speaking too much lingo, the abandoned cart means simply somebody didn't complete the purchase. Exactly. Um, you know, they've clipped away and not completed the transaction. Awesome. Um, okay. So um, Steve Atlas has a question about, Steve, can you, do you want to just voice your question? Sure, I can, like I can voice good. it. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, all right. So, um, so I'm a professor at the University of Rhode Island, uh, for those two of you who haven't met. Um, a classic example of uh, the situation I find myself in is um, I lay out these activities for the class to do uh, in a syllabus, say, or, or in an email saying, here's what we're doing this week. Um, and then um, the goal is for the class to do those things. Right? And then, uh, but then what I'll get back is uh, is a whole bunch of emails of questions and, uh, and clarification and things that are these kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations that aren't um, as high value as the as a one-to-many original conversation. And, and I'd rather be spending my time focusing on what kind of the, the group is doing rather than the one-on-one. -on -one. I was wondering um, what um, suggestions others have for uh, for 
uh, structuring the emails in a way that um, that it leads to action and not uh, lots and lots of more emails. Mm. <laughs> that's that's a good one because uh, Suzanne, you want to? <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in because I've been in that situation uh, many times. I think email is the wrong platform. That the learning management system should have some type of tool that would allow you to have a discussion board or something like that. So to maybe direct everybody to some type of discussion board um, instead of instead of hitting reply, which everyone is used to doing, so that there's more opportunity to engage. I don't know if that's actually very helpful. We've created an internal wiki. Hi, how are you? Uh, I've created an internal wiki before for um, for onboarding uh, employees. And a lot of questions you can like kind of answer internally. Uh, but uh, I would put the FAQ on a website so that you could say, oh, what a great question. I already answered that link. And then you don't have to keep on rewriting the same answer over and over again. Mm, that's good. Good. John, I'm just curious, John Picosi, in your professoring days, did you run into this problem? Um. That was a long, long time ago. Um, not, not particularly. I mean, not, not that long ago. Um, you know, I think the wiki is a, is a, is a good path forward. You know, it definitely helps people um, to find the information that they need without having to ask directly. Um, I personally just prefer the question. And if a bunch of people have the same question, then, you know, obviously that means that I need to change my tactics or, or maybe get those people together and talk to them all at once. So um, yeah, I would recommend the wiki approach though. If you're, if you're getting the same question over and over again, you know, sending people off to that thing and having it be a knowledge base is uh, you know, is super helpful and provides, provides value. Right. What about um, using Slack? Like having a Slack channel for your class, right. Where it might feel no, Kristen says no. No, Slack is for like immediate, you know, uh, answers. And if you have to dig a month ago and there's been over mm. 2000 messages, then you lose it. And yeah, mm. just have something evergreen, you know, on your website or in a back, like Google documents, you know, uh, just somewhere that you can post that FAQ so that you can say, Hey, by the way, before you start asking questions, click here, make sure it wasn't answered yet. You know, uh, something so that's searchable indexable. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there are a lot of places that do use Slack in that method. There are a lot of articles about using Slack in that method. Um, I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, you know, if you, if you start from the get-go using Slack and using Slack in that way, you know, using the, the built-in tools in Slack to pin things and, and, you know, Slack's search is pretty robust, then I think it could be a good starting point, but yeah, I tend to agree that you know Slack is more of a communication tool than a than an archiving tool. So, um, but to be fair, you could use you could use Slack in that way if it works for you. Um, also, something to think about is something like Basecamp as well. You know, Basecamp's a pretty um, easy tool to use for uh, for creating kind of a knowledge base sort of uh, sort of structure if if need be. Or Trello. <laughs> yeah Project there are many there are many tools trello is actually a, a a really good one um i don't know how it would be on the searching and 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 like knowledge based side of things but 
hearing a part of the key in, in uh, multiple of these answers is to, is to have a specific knowledge base to direct uh, the responder to that way uh, when that, that way you're probably retraining a, a, a different alternate behavior rather than emailing in response that they could actually look there uh, to see if it's already answered. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. I would also I say like- that, if, Oh, go ahead and John. I was just gonna say like, if you're getting the same question back or you're getting questions back, like if there are some, um, I know, uh, I'm pretty sure MailChimp does it. I know the CRM that, that we're using is doing it, but you have uh, the ability to kind of set autoresponders. So you can kind of look at the, the email somebody's sending back. And if they're asking a certain question or, or there's a question in there, you can even have that be automated where it's like, hey, that question's in our knowledge base, go here and check it out. So that way you don't have to, it, it's less on you to have to respond to them. And it's, it's kind of more happening automatically. That, uh, so that that kind of an auto uh, auto text that can be generated and then applied in different situations. Which platform did you say that was on? I'm sure Mailchimp has a solution. Um, we're actually using a CRM called uh, Zoho, and um, through their Zoho campaigns platform, they actually have the ability to um, basically set conditional logic to say like, hey, if, if somebody replies to this email and the email contains, you know, this string or, or you know, has the these couple of words in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, send them this email and reply. Um, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of, if then if, if do this structure, you know, can help you alleviate having to reply to those emails and send them to, you know, whatever that endpoint is, whether it's a wiki or Slack or, you know, whatever the, the method is for you to, to get for them to get that answer for you to communicate more effectively with them. Awesome. Okay. Um, Karen, has questioned or yeah says keeping email out of spam boxes and have them land in people's inboxes what are your thoughts rana why don't we start with you and then we'll see what other thoughts everybody else has to chime in but great question karen i think this is a very common problem definitely and i think it's those you know when people are expecting an email first they first they want the email and they're expecting it they're going to go after and look look for it once people are finding that there's value in email, and I'm just going with my own experiences as well as my clients, is that people are going to make, take the steps that they need to, to get those emails into their inboxes. And in my case, you know, I'll go into my promotions and I'll drag it into my inbox because I want to hear from the person. So the idea is adding the personalized communication, making it so that it adds value so that the your people who are receiving the email actually want them, look out for them and take the steps that they need. Cause that human interaction is still gonna uh, go above and beyond any tr spam filter tricks, I find. I find that if I really want somebody to see something, LinkedIn is often more successful just because people are overwhelmed with email. Um, I in particular have a problem. So for example, if you don't, if you email me and I don't get back to you in a couple of days, try LinkedIn to message me on LinkedIn. I, that's, I'm just able to keep that a lot cleaner. Um, I, I don't know. I have to come up with some holistic, much better answer to this problem. But um, yeah, in some ways it's just people aren't seeing it or yeah, it's going to their spam. But there's other things too, like some really basic things to think about like making sure that you are sending whatever 
email address your campaign is coming from is not the email address that you use. So most emails, and actually I had to fix this at some point because one of the interns switched it somehow. Emails from, from me for NIM are coming from Sue at Newport Interactive Marketers.com, not Sue at Angles and Insights. Because the Angles and Insights, so if, if if the NIM email gets corrupted, it's not taking down my primary email that I'm using to communicate every day. So that's one thing. But then there's some, um, I'm not sure if this is actually still the case, but there are some trigger words that will, that the email service, the email like Gmail and Yahoo, they will automatically circuit those to spam. Free is one of them. I don't, I, Ron, are you familiar with what some of the other ones are or John or Kristen? I, th- I think it's the, the email address that's the problem because we're using services. Oh yeah, I, don't do that. I think it's because it's not coming from- a human. First it's- name at, even, even invent the first name. Like we've- <laughs> We've invented an avatar, you know, so that people weren't trying to reach out to me directly, but definitely use a name because info at sales at mail at those get you don't, you don't have that opportunity at active campaign to use a straight name. They throw their behind the in the header in the email header. Behind the scenes, what we're not looking at usually is all this um, extra stuff that a campaign um, program and email program ads. So, um, so that's what I was asking about. Yeah. Also, but like the from line, you should be able to customize. Yeah. Yeah. You can change the from line. Here's a link. Um, I would just change it, change it to a human. I'll try that. Thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, if you are sending to a large business and you know, so for example, my biggest client liked to spam all of my emails. So I'd be like, check your spam. And they'd be like, well, it's a pain in the butt to check the spam. And I was like, well, let me talk to it and it had to put me on a whitelist. So if there's like a big client of yours that, you know, really has a robust spam filtering software, uh, asked to be put on the whitelist from it. Great. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you. Also on the on the spam front, like I know if you're using Mailchimp, and you know Ron's probably run into this, Mailchimp does a pretty good job of checking that your domain is in good standing. Um, we had this happen to a client uh, a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. I don't know, COVID time all is weird, but um, <laughs> basically their um, their domain ended up. Uh, being added to a um, to a, a spam list, uh, and you know there are things that you can do at the domain level to prevent that. Um, some common common things that you'll see are adding uh, what's called a DKIM record to your domain or SPF uh, record to your domain, and that basically validates that your domain is able through through that service to send emails. Because ultimately, changing the from is is going to be could be considered spammy if the if the actual email header is coming from um, an address on your domain. So it gets like the spam thing gets a little bit more in, into the technical weeds, especially if you're sending marketing emails, because typically, you know, you may not have the ability to be added to a to a whitelist or to an approved approved email list. Um, so you want to make sure that whatever service you're using is is set up correctly to avoid the uh, the spam the spam folder um, also 
things like linking, like in your initial email, if you're doing a campaign and, you know, Rhonda, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but like, typically we won't send links to somebody like if we're linking, we're linking to like a case study or something. We won't send those in the initial, the initial email that we sent to that individual. It'll be in a second or third email um, mm -hmm. just to make sure that uh, we're not getting flagged or, or tagged as spam right off the bat, uh, right off the bat. Also, we've heard the number of emails, like if you send over 200 emails in a day, some of the bigger mail services are like, whoa, this person is, is spamming people. So mm -hmm. thanks, John. Yes, that's definitely um, in the welcome email we we're talking about. Definitely just plain text, no links just to get the initial conversation going. Great point, John. Glad you brought that up as well. Um, the email footers are also very important. I had an issue um, working with a client was using ClickFunnels and, you know, they didn't have the uh, email footer properly. The unsubscribe. And yeah. Oh yeah. That was definitely the delivery rate was, was very bad. Um, so that, that makes a difference. And also if you're sending it from a domain, again, the MailChimp's verified or other providers versus a Gmail or Yahoo or something like that. I know a lot of, you know, the small the entrepreneurs that may not have, you know, they might just use a Gmail account for their business. They're definitely going to, you know, having issues versus if they just registered a domain for a dollar or so and just connected it to their MailChimp account in this case. So John, you said SPF record and what was the other thing? Uh, DKIM record. So, uh, KIM? You got it. Yep. Okay. And those basically, you know, a lot of spam, like a lot of spam gets sent from, uh, you know, basically by a method of like um, sh using a domain that doesn't necessarily belong to somebody. Uh, so mm -hmm. those records allow for email servers to go back to the originating domain and say, hey, do you actually have this address? Do you actually have the ability to send emails with this address? It's just a, it's okay. just a, a way of verifying. A lot of services, um, I haven't set up MailChimp in a while, but a lot of services will um, basically check to make sure those records are in place and are in good standing. Um, and I'll actually post a tool in the chat here that you can use to see if your domain is on any, um, on any blacklists. Um, mm. which would, which would definitely be, um, definitely land you in somebody's spam folder. The other thing to think about is hosting. I know this relates a lot to, um, to email and website, you know, deliverability is, um, making sure that you're, you're with a good hosting company because, uh, let's say, GoDaddy, for example, they are hosting all kinds of things and Google for SEO purposes is looking like, okay, well, who else is being hosted on this server and making sure that you're not on a server with a bunch of trashy sites is important. And so I've changed over most of my hosting to a company that's like super cheap. It's like 200 bucks for the year and they're good. And they, you know, reply on email and they actually do all the hosting for um, municipalities in the state of Pennsylvania is their primary client. Um, but I found them through Larry Zivon. I don't know if you guys know Larry Zivon, but he uses them and they've been really good to work with. So if you're looking for 
hosting company. The only thing that I will complain about is that they won't keep your credit card on file. So if they're, if, if you're, you have to look for their invoice. I mean, they'll give you time. They'll, they'll send you emails like, Hey, we're going to shut down your site, but it's just one other thing that if it ends up in spam or you overlook it or what have you, it can be a problem, but otherwise they're pretty good. Um, okay. So, um, so I'll take your, that- I'll take your negative and turn it into a positive. They're not storing your credit card data, which means there's, there isn't an, an opportunity for somebody to steal it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a good reason for it. Okay. Other tips for encouraging people to sign up for your newsletter from Diana. Anybody have thoughts? I think like the coupon thing that John said, <laughs> <laughs> like I will, yeah. I know there's going to be a sale in a couple of days. I'll sign up today, <laughs> get my 10% or 15% off coupon and I'll go buy something, you know, so coupons do work for women. <laughs> I don't know about men. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. I think coupons, I think creating content that's actually valuable you know, if, if you're just selling, if you're just selling a product, this is a direction I'm moving into with a client, a new client is that they have, um, a location in Newport, but then they also have an e-commerce business. So how do we link together that in-person experience to the online shopping experience and wedding those two together, I think presents an opportunity. Um, and one of the keys to that is if someone is in the store, then how do we bridge them over into email and to make sure that the content is matching that in-person experience somehow. I think that it's really, um, and actually next month, we're going to be talking about um, marketing stack. So not just email marketing, but what are some other tools that we're using to be more efficient and more effective? And we were talking about cookies and Kam and Tharath says, Cookies are making marketers fat or making marketing fat. Anyway, keep an eye out for the email because like, you know, everybody's just sort of resting on this data that is making it a little too easy. So he's saying that it's going to separate the really good marketers from the people who are just like, you know, making crappy cookies <laughs> to use the, the baking analogy. But, uh, but yeah, so it's going to be a really interesting conversation. And I think that it really comes down to making sure that your content is, is high quality thoughts. Um, anybody else about how to get people to sign up for your newsletter? And it, any type of an incentive, if you understand the people that you're, you're targeting, you know, your, your niche, any, an incentive, definitely an incentive, a gift of some sort. Um, you know, I use, we've been using challenges lately and they have just been, you know, people are, um, you know, something about humans that love challenges. So they'll sign up for a challenge. It can be an email challenge. It could be, you know, a, a Facebook live challenge, but you know, people are going to sign up for that, especially if it's a free challenge more than a, a piece of uh, PDF or some type of uh, content. Cause that's gotten kind of old. I think the free gift like that, but people will sign up for challenges, which seem to grow email lists very quickly. What would be a sign? What would be an example of a challenge? Um, let's see. I have a number of different challenges that I've <laughs> myself have been in, but um, so the different challenge would be like, I've, I've just, I'm just thinking of a personal challenge versus a business challenge because a lot of businesses are, are, are now doing challenges um, as far as um, you know growing your 
your sales or, or, or something like that in five days, learn how to, um, you know, a, a certain tactic, right? Yeah. So you're giving okay. people just a little bit of a, you know, action taking every day type situation so that they see oh, results, right. yes. results okay. at the end. And that could be done. And, you know, people do that for, you know, I think people drinking water, you know, increase your drinking water in, in, in a week and how much water you can drink. And you get on with other people that have a similar interest. And so it, it brings that community together of people mm -hmm. that are in that challenge together where they can help each other and encourage each other to do that. And it's a short period of time. So people will typically say yes to a short engagement like that. And it gives you an opportunity to know people better who are actually doing the challenge versus just a webinar, you know, two hour webinar, and then trying to present an offer to people. If they're with you for a number of days, the chances are they're going to want to spend more time with you if they like you and if they like the community that they're in with. So you can really start a challenge based upon people's interests. Hmm. So you would, so people would sign up for the challenge and then they would get your emails for five days. It would be specifically focused on that five day challenge. Did you drink water today? How much water have you had post in, post in our Facebook group, that, that type of thing. Yes. And then, and then you're able to engage them more and then they can sign up for the next challenge or, or your general newsletter. That's correct. Yes. Is that typically how it would go? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. That's a great tip. Sharing awards into this chat for a quick little plug for Kristen Gibson. So uh, she wanted to create an influencer awards sort of situation so that hopefully she can get influencers log like signed up for her email newsletter, but she's also getting those people that, um, that nominate. So she's hoping to get somebody's email address, but she's not expecting it. So she's at least going to get the people who's, who are nominating. So I just threw that in there. If anybody wants to nominate anybody for Chris yeah, Influencer Awards, yeah, I cannot be nominated because I work with her. <laughs> no, it's a really great idea. When I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a good one. So any, anything, any hook. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. Um, so Peter... Engaging cold calls and emails. What? So yeah, do you want to jump? Can I jump in on that? Yeah. Uh, it, hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Peter Sylvia. Uh, I'm just created a new business called Broad Arrow Creative, and I'll be working as a creative director and a brand storyteller. So in that sense, I'm a beginner entering in this world. And there was an awful lot of jargon today. My head was just going like this, like I got to have a glossary to keep up with Splunk and all this stuff. But that being said, in keeping with last week, uh, the, the last meeting that we had um, in terms of marketing in general, how does, so the question really is, I understand how you can initiate, say, a cold call with them. Now you follow that up with an email. Now, Penny, the previous presenter suggested that it's going to take six to 12 times before you really get something a return from this particular client so how many of you know the, the water campaign's interesting but i think i'd get a little bored getting five emails in a row about water so i guess what i'm asking how do you how do you combine using the automated emails along with personal initial cold calls and then along with the note cards or whatever else that you may come up with to continue contacting with these people. So I guess that question is how do, how do you, do you use 
guess what I'm having a difficulty with is automation versus humaning, human connecting as a human with people. Mm-hmm. So is it the nature of the email that creates the humanization? If I know I'm getting an automated email, do I really feel as connected to that person? So maybe I'm taking this one step beyond just the mechanics of it, but I guess I'm talking about the psycho- psychological, psycho- psychologically, how is this affecting the individual who's receiving all of these things? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense at all? Or like, what should the recipe be and the cadence? of email, cold call, card? Well, just, you know, is that a viable campaign by incorporating all of these things? Or uh, you were suggesting create a challenge. Well, okay, but if I'm identifying that audience and I found people that like drinking water and want to communicate with me and I tell them, well, the reason I'm doing this is because I have a great water filter bottle that you can buy. That would make sense. Right. That me. makes sense. Yeah. Because yeah. you have a product. Yeah. Because you have something you're doing, but just to engage someone in a survey, I, I understand it's creating more emails. So it's great. You have e- more contacts, but what about the content of what you're providing these contact, contacts? Can I just jump in real quick and put a note in yeah, there yeah. that Rhonda, so for July, we're going to do virtual open night open tips night, tip not at night on a Tuesday <laughs> at noon. Um, so let's, let's bring up the challenge because I think that would be really fun to go around the room and like have everybody come up with maybe a challenge that they could do because Peter, I think that this is a complicated question and I think it all depends. Like you said, you're providing a service, right? right. So it's the, the challenge is going to be more complicated than that. Um, So that might not be the exact right tool, but I think as far as emails and cold calls, I mean, there's a specific, I think, cadence of what you feel is comfortable. Um, And I would say that depending on how many people you're emailing, I mean, typically what I do, because I'm not really, I don't mass email everybody other than NIM. Uh, Like I don't have my own separate mailing list. I probably should for Angles Insights, but I don't. So if I see something that I think is relevant to a client, I will send that or to a prospect, you know, somebody who I've spoken to, you know, who's maybe shared information with me, I'm trying to help them out. So that type of personalization, I think is important. Um, And maybe to go back to that. And then, you know, you maybe follow up with a phone call after a few days, if you haven't heard back from them and say, Hey, I know that you're really busy and that your email often gets overloaded or maybe this ended up in your spam. I just want to let you know, I sent you something about this, but I think you have to make sure that it is that important, you know, otherwise it's just going to be seen mm-hmm. as cold call. Something that benefits them. Yeah. Your customers you know. are going to teach you how they want to get sold to. And okay. every, if every kind of customer is going to need a different set of touches and, you know, and the- I see what you're saying. So what I would do is I would write the hell down, like out of your sales process and anything that you do over and over and over again, that's what you carve out and automate, you know, and the whole point Mm -hmm. of creating these automated sales emails are that you're trying to fool somebody into not thinking that it's automated. So, ah, okay. All right. Psychologically, I know that candor. Yes. (laughs) Automated somehow. Yeah. 
to react to that in a negative way. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't, but in general, it, but I'm like you, if I, you know, if I see something take 10% off for this coupon on the incentive stuff, I click on it, whether I buy it or don't, I think, well, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. So that does work. So I'm sure I'm on a lot of other people's list, but I don't know, you know, how that. Welcome works. to the wide world of <laughs> internet marketing and take good notes and take, get good data. And then you'll be able to make data-driven decisions. Perfect. Thank you. That That's very helpful. I appreciate that. Well, we just have a couple minutes left and I just threw in um, a link in the chat. Um, that, you know, we always like to know how we're doing. So if you have any thoughts on uh, suggestions or um, ideas for NIM, if you could do that. And then um, I also just wanted to point out that we do have a LinkedIn group. John Posey said he had to jump off, but we can always jump into the LinkedIn group to continue the conversation. And I have a link in there. And um, yeah, but I just, David Goldstein, you had a question that, is about how to integrate email campaigns with websites and social media. Um, do you mean like how to pull people from social media and website into yeah, I mean, email most marketing? Of, most of the people I'm working with, you know, nonprofits will put out a newsletter for information purposes to get important info out, but there's nothing on their other social media or websites to promote it. Plus it gets at the idea of how do you get people to sign up for your newsletter are there ways that you say, hey, you, you know, you're doing all the social media instead of just throwing stuff on this, that, and the other thing? How do you really integrate them and how do you use them? How do you leverage them to promote what you're doing? And I think that's the part of the problem when people do newsletters. That's the only place you're going to see the info. And you don't use you don't use it on your websites and you don't use it on your other social media is doing. I wonder if that's an issue that you deal with or find or anybody does. Okay, well, um, I'm just going to speak to the social media as far as what I've done. And I've included uh, a ways people can sign up or get a free gift from my social media. In uh, MailChimp, there's an integration with Facebook, for example, where you can actually, in your Facebook page, it has to be a, a, a page that's related to business. You can embed a sign up form which is lives into your, in your Facebook page that people can sign up right there and be a give, give them something in exchange for their email address typically. But um, that's an incentive and a way to integrate email with uh, sign up with the, the social media, which I've used. Does that answer the question? Yeah, like the stuff I'm dealing with isn't so much solicitation, but it's when they put out emails saying, hey, we, you know, we, we emailed that we're doing this this week. How do you get them to say, look, you need to make people aware of this, not just through your email, but also reinforce it into your other social media and make it available on your website or whatever. You can gamify it. For what? I said, you can try to gamify it. So for example, if you're doing, here, here's an example. If you're doing a giveaway and you say, if you click on this, you get one, or because you're receiving this email, you get one free entry. Like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, watch this video, follow us on Twitter. Each of these can be extra entries to win something. So we call that gamification. Other people call it other things, um, but there are different, I don't know what sort of, uh, what are you using for your word, web, ugh, website? 
Well, they, it's not me. They're, um, they're using their regular organization website. So in other so, words, what I'm saying is nobody, if they don't see a newsletter or they you know, pay attention to it, they're not going to know it's there and they're not going to get the information that you're promoting with it or what you're soliciting with it. And to me, that seems to be a huge problem because I'm trying to make that a big thing and say, look, at least at a very basic level, make sure when you put out a newsletter to use your other media to promote the fact that, you know, what's on there and drive people to it. And throw like 20 bucks at it too on Facebook, you know, just try to create a lookalike audience, right? I don't know. That's a whole other advertising. Yeah, I just want them to get, I just want them to promote it some, you know, to be aware that don't just throw the newsletter up, but use your other media to promote it and try to, you know, get what you can on that type of thing and have them work. This is a big issue with all social media and web stuff that people throw stuff up in different things and don't put it all together or we'll have stuff on one thing and not, you know, on, on, uh, on your website, not in social media and vice versa and that type of thing. So to me, I found that I think newsletters are a big uh, issue in that, uh, in that regard too. I'm just putting one rewards program thing in here. I have not used this, but it's a rewards slash gamification program. So it basically encourages people to take every single action in order to earn uh, points or credit or something, you know, but I think that what you're looking for is a more robust solution that's actually going to um, talk to people on different channels. And that's yeah, difficult even for a marketer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you got to tell people, look, this is there's some basic stuff you can do to really promote what you're trying to do on different social media or newsletters. Not even go beyond that. We, you, you know, got to get more sophisticated and try to strategize how you're going to coordinate it all. Um, and that's and the point we try to make. If you go back to the basics, right? Like, because I work with a lot of nonprofits, and it's just a matter of, you know, in particular, Mailchimp and I'm pretty sure Active Campaign, they all pretty much do this. That if you're putting out an email newsletter that you can also there make social media cards, right? And then those will go out onto social media. So it's just really creating, moving a, a little button to one side um, and then putting the ingredients, like what, what copy do you want to put in? And you typically would copy and paste your email subject line. And then you would have your call to action, you know, and some of them will feed all that information in and then you just click a button and it shares it on social media right when you send out the email blast. Yeah, and it's even something as basic as making sure that your email is shareable, easily shareable. You don't have to cut and paste anything where there's a button. I know MailChimp makes it very easy. I haven't used Constant Contact in a while, but way back when I did, it, I don't I don't even remember if that was included or it was made it easy to do. I see a lot of MailChimps do it, but, um, but that's a basic thing that they should do if you want people to share it, encourage people to share it type of thing. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get organizations to start dealing with the basics and then go from there. You know, say this isn't something we don't have any expertise for. But. Well, I don't want to run too much over, but um, thank you, Rhonda. And thanks everybody for coming. This is so great. And uh, like I said, next month we'll be jumping into other technology tools that we can layer on top and integrate with um, what's commonly referred to as the marketing technology stack. You know, so you think about like, how do you layer all these things on top of each other and get them to talk to each other? And our speaker um, works with, has an agency and works with a lot of different clients of different sizes and they consider themselves tool agnostic. So he's going to give us a lot of insights on, you know, oh, I'm a B2B, which one should I use or which tools should I use and how should I what, when do I need to introduce new tools? 
or I'm B2C or e-commerce, or I don't have any money, um, you know, all those, all those scenarios. So we're building those into the, into the um, talk. Do we have different recipes for everybody for their little pancake stack of technology and tools? Cause God knows there are a zillion out there uh, and it can be overwhelming, but it's always good to know like which ones are effective and which ones maybe are less so. So great. And uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you guys. This is going to be up for this recording will be up until the next NIM talk. But if you want access to the entire NIM presentation library, we have slides, we have audio, we have video, we have um, oftentimes a worksheet when it makes sense. Um, that's all in the presentation library. We have about four years worth of content in there and you can access that for $100 for the year as a NIM supporting member and keep keep the NIM fires burning through the pandemic. Um, but yeah, and hopefully we will be gathering in person at some point. I'm a little bit hesitant um, still, even though we could be outside, it's hard to like, it's hard to have a presentation outside. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes, but it would be great to see everybody. Absolutely. Have a great afternoon and I'm gonna hang on for a few minutes if anybody wants to hang out and chat. If not, no worries. Okay. Thanks very much, Sue. That was great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, oh, and don't forget you, to Rhonda. take Tony's thank survey. You, Sue. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Bye. I'll All right, till next time. Good luck with the uh with in the, June. Uh, the uh, model release stuff. That's so important. I can't believe that. Oh, stuff. isn't that crazy? I think people just don't terrific. don't understand how that's all working. Yeah. Rana, awesome job. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I think it was uh, went a little faster than we thought it was going to go, <laughs> I think. I know. It yeah. wasn't too fast, I hope. Um, I don't know. Maybe just slow it down next time a little bit. Yeah, it was good. Um, okay. I was like promoting, you know, so I'm like sharing stuff. So in the beginning of the talk, especially, I'm not really 100% paying attention. Yes. When you're like, oh, let's look at the chat. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay. I'm on Facebook. Sorry. I mean, not like on my personal Facebook, I'm just actually sharing and promoting. So, uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was great. And everybody seems to have good questions, good conversation. And, you know, in some ways I think maybe that's the way that NIM really should go. It should go at a fairly good clip. And then, um, and then we leave a lot of time open for questions and discussion. That's, that's what I like myself. I, I like it even during the presentation, but um, you know, that really depends upon who's having the meeting.